0: Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we again come with a heart of gratefulness, Lord, for your providence, Lord, that you've uh, provided James and Jess to us to serve us here, Lord. Thank you for the um, the word that you've put on James's heart this morning, Lord. Thank you for the journey that you, you've you taken us on but are taking us on as well, Lord. We, uh, we're so excited to see what you want to do. And as we've uh, sung so many times this morning, Lord, we just pray that you would have your way with us. Lord, in this place, Lord, I pray that you would uh, powerfully speak through James this morning. Holy Spirit, fill him so much to the to, to brimming and overflowing, Lord, that he would uh, just be on fire um, speaking your word to us today. Lord, give us uh, ears to hear and hearts to really listen and take on board what it is that you want to say to us. I pray this in your mighty, glorious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, all. It's good to see you all. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Joe. Um, Do turn to 1 Corinthians 10 if you've got a Bible, don't worry if you don't, it'll come up on the screen a bit later when I read from the passage. Um, We're doing a series at the moment on 1 Corinthians. Um, Thanks for praying for Dan family and for Kings and for Kingsgate in Yarmouth. Um, It's uh, good to stand with those who've been standing with us. They've been praying for us through this whole transition um, praying as church families um, and as family, we pray for them now um, as they go through a difficult, difficult time. Um, so thanks for that. And, um, but it's great to be here. Jess and I are really loving um, having started now. Um, you know, when you're waiting for something, you're itching to get going. Um, it's great to be here finally and to feel more fully with you as a, a church family. I'm really grateful to Rod and Andrew and Chris welcoming me into team and uh, it's great to be doing uh, this with them. Um, they're fab guys and I just want to honour them for all that they've done in this uh, last five, six years. They've served you so well and really, really slogged it through some difficult times and uh, they're a great support and encouragement to me as I start out as well. Um, do pray for us as we're settling in as a team. And uh, there's so much um, that God's got in store for us. You know when you're, uh, you wake up on that Christmas morning as a little kid, and you've got all those boxes in front of you, and you don't know which one to open first? <laughs> we've got that feeling. And uh, so uh, do pray for us as we think about which boxes to open first, which presents the priority, and that kind of thing. Um, and as we settle into uh, a new season as a team, and for Jess and I, we're, we've got a house on the market. It's not sold yet. We're getting lots of viewings. People love the house, not so much the area. So pray for somebody to love the area and love the house and pay for it as well. That'd be great. (laughs) Uh, This morning I'm going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians 10 and um, it's really about what are you feasting on? Uh, With the title this morning, Feasting to Freedom. What do you feast on? What do you feed on? I don't mean, uh, what do you prefer, you know, a Pizza Hut buffet or an Indian or a uh, Chinese all you can eat. I'm talking about what's the foundation of your life? What, what do you center your whole life upon? What are, you, what are you feasting on in life? What provides meaning to your life? What provides significance, sense of I'm valued, I'm important, what? brings you a sense of security in life. Because we all f- feed on something. Um, we all have a foundation in life that gives us, as human beings, what we need. People need to feel a sense of meaning in life. They need to feel valued. We need to feel a sense of security about who we are and our identity. Um, so, And then, not only that, but we need a foundation to help us decide how to live our life. A kind of world view, we often call it, that helps us Decide what's important, what do we prioritize, all the decisions we make in the moments of life. Um, what's your foundation? I was with a whole bunch of 27,000 people whose foundation was something very exciting yesterday, hence my husky voice. I might have been at a particular football match. <laughs> Apologies for that. Um, but I wonder what your foundation is. What's your, um, what are you feeding on? Let's uh, read the passage together. It will come up on the screen. I'm going to read from verse 14. It's really two different passages, but we're going to talk about them together and link them at at some point. Um, Chapter 10, verse 14, 3 to 11, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not... A participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those that eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and partake of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And he moves on. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, You're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ Paul, verse 14, following on from the passage about temptation, it commands them, flee from idolatry, following on from one of the Ten Commandments, the very first one, um, don't make an idol and worship it. The Corinthians have been making light of idols. Um, they've been eating food in temples that were devoted to the worship um, of idols. Um, and they've been saying, well, the idols aren't really anything. We know that there's only one God, and so idols aren't really much. So it doesn't really matter if we're in the temples eating the food. And verse 19 and 20, Paul says, that's true, they aren't anything. Uh, And I wonder if sometimes we can do the same, that idols are a thing of the past. Um, It's kind of a religious thing that people used to do thousands of years ago. We're not really sacrificing to anything these days. Um, It's just something for them. I'm not bowing down to golden calves or something on my mantelpiece. Um, Idolatry is just for them. But I might miss a little bit of what is an idol. Tim Keller uh, wrote a great book on this um, called Counterfeit Gods. Um, It's a great book to get, fantastic on idolatry and a lot of what I take from today is is from him. Um, Do get it, It's it's a cracking read. He says, what's an idol? It's anything more important to you than God anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. If I have that, then I will feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value, and I'll feel significant and uh, and secure. And we can make an idol out of anything, out of success, achievement, um, education certificates, family traditions, We can make idols out of sporting or academic prowess, out of relationships with friends. We can make idols out of sexual intimacy, out of pornography, friendships, hobbies, money, power, influence, objects, technology, the approval of others. Idols come in all shapes and sizes. They don't have to be actual, literal objects in front of us. Um, they They can even be... Um, The possibility that things in church life become idols for us, and they're often the ones that are so best hidden. Keller carries on and says this, making an idol out of doctrinal accuracy, ministry success, or moral rectitude leads to constant internal conflict, arrogance, and self-righteousness, and oppression of those whose views differ. And you could add to those things my position in church, my status, my role, the way in which I serve. It could be the ministry you're responsible for, your reputation or your church CV. We can make all kinds of things idols. And we serve them um, by giving our time, giving our energy, giving our finances to serving them. Ensuring that our lives have meaning. And these things that we make the center and foundation of our life can become the thing that gives us real meaning. I've got a purpose in life. I feel valued by this thing because I'm good at it or um, because it tells me I'm, I'm loved or well-liked. And we worship them in order to feel a sense of security. I've, I've got a base, a foundation. That will always be the same. It will never change. Uh, but as Christians... Paul goes on, uh, we're to feast on Jesus, and we do that by, uh, one way, by eating the bread and the wine together. Verses 16 and 18 says that when we eat and drink wine, uh, eat bread and drink wine together, we join ourselves to one another. The basis of our fellowshipping together, um, the, the word participation comes from the Greek word koinonia, it means to fellowship, is where we can get the word from, and our fellowship Our being together, the thing that draws us together is not the same political view or the same football team or whatever it might be. This is what draws us together. Because there's nothing else that would explain why us lot are in the same room together. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Just look around the room. It's bonkers. Only this could do this. (laughs) And we participate, we fellowship together by eating the bread and drinking the wine. We join ourselves to the body of Christ and our foundation, our focal point, our, our base is the worship of Jesus, of him and his life lived for us. When we drink and eat together, we're making Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection central, foundational to us. So foundational, so focal that his life becomes ours. That his love, his obedient life, his consideration of others, his sacrifices laying down his life becomes ours. So foundational, so, so much our focus that his death, his death in our place for having made other things other than God central becomes ours and we don't have to die that death anymore. The focal point and foundation becomes Jesus so much that his resurrection to life becomes ours. And just as we've been thinking about this morning with the news of Ali, we too know that one day we'll be with Jesus in heaven for eternity. So, what's the answer to idolatry? It's feasting on Jesus. It's making him the foundation of our life uh, together. uh, James' prophecy kind of uh, links in with that, there's a dot. There's something that's the focus that you've got your eyes on. And Jesus is the answer to that. Lift your eyes to him. Worship him. He's our focus. So perhaps you're not a Christian here today. And you know that something else is your focal point in life. Something else is your foundation. I put it to you today to consider making Jesus his life death, and resurrection your own by making him the foundation of your life and feasting on him because he's the bread of life. Uh, Later on, we're going to celebrate that together by coming and taking the bread and wine. If you're not a Christian, um, feel free to let it pass by. But if you want to say and declare, "I'm, I'm part of the body of Christ and together with you, Jesus is my focus. He's the one I'm feasting on. His love, his joy, his peace is mine. Then share the bread and wine with us later uh, when we come to it. Paul goes on, verses 20 to 22, and he says, You can't feast on idols and feast on Jesus. You can't drink both cups. You can't drink the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. You can't eat at the table of demons and eat at the table of the Lord. You can't join yourself to Christ's body and participate here. And also go and participate somewhere else. And he's being quite strong in his language, isn't he? He's saying, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Really quite strong language. Friends, are there things that you've got yourself mixed up in? Things where um, aren't compatible with being part of the body of Christ and having Jesus as your foundation? Have you got mixed up in and caught up by something that just isn't compatible with feasting on Jesus? Something in your life that you've made the foundation. It's always in your mind. It's caught your attention. You go to it consistently. Brings you a sense of warmth, of security, of safety. Got yourself mixed up in that tells you that you're valued, you're significant, you're loved and appreciated. Keller says this, worship is the only way to replace the idols of your heart. Worship Jesus, make him the center, the foundation, the focal point of your life again. Take the bread and wine and never go hungry again. Uh, One major theme that um, is running throughout 1 Corinthians is this um, idea of true freedom uh, and what that looks like. The the Corinthians had been exercising their freedom on the basis of rights. I've got a right to do this. And then doing whatever they liked, regardless of how it affected other people. Um, He said this before. If you flick your eyes to chapter 6, verse 12, Paul said this. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. It's something that the Corinthians had written to him about. as one of their phrases. Um, they had learnt about their freedom in Christ, fantastic, but they were like using it however they wanted, regardless of how it affected others. And Paul says this in 6.12, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. They'd been exercising in there what they thought was freedom, but had actually been getting caught up in something that was enslaving them. Because idols enslave. They trap you. When you have an idol, you think, what else, how would I live without it? I couldn't live if I didn't have this, or do this, or if that person wasn't in my life anymore. It traps us. It oppresses us. Leaves us in despair. Lord, how, you know, how would I live without this thing? How would, whatever it might be, we feel void of hope, fearful of life without it. Idols end up leaving us spiritually hungry. So if you're not sure if there's something that's crept into your life that's foundational to it other than Jesus, think about this. What do you fear the most? In life. You think my life just wouldn't be the same if I didn't have that. If this wasn't the case. I just couldn't live without it. And the chances are. Behind that fear. Is an idol. That's enslaving you. That's. Making you fearful. Making you feel trapped. And depressed. And leaving you feeling spiritually hungry. If actually you just feel spiritually dry. And hungry chances are it's because you're feasting somewhere that isn't feeding you everything you need in life. And the answer is, feed on Jesus. Because he satisfies your every need. He never leaves you spiritually hungry or thirsty. He's the bread of life. He's the one who says, come and drink from me. Um, Personally, I was, uh, a number of years ago, was, uh, on a leadership training course, we did something called the redemption course, which I hope we'd get time to do at some point um, here at New Life. Um, I said I'd put the uh, PowerPoint up, and I didn't. Sorry. Um, and uh, I realized during that course that actually I, was fe- I had a fear of loneliness. I thought, actually, I fear loneliness. And it appeared in my life in a number of ways. Um, my diary was insane, there was not a moment of breathing room in it because I didn't want to be by myself. So I crammed my diary full of meetings, um, good stuff, like serving church full on. But perhaps at that time, I was also running away from something because I feared loneliness. Um, So I gave my energy to hours of conversation with friends. Um, Lots of it was good, but underneath it was this idolatry, I realized, of friendship. Friendship. It still rears its head from time to time. Recently, I was thinking, I was getting frustrated about not seeing some friends. And I realised again, I'm probably just running away from loneliness. got an idolatry of friendship there that's just creeping up again. They're often deep-rooted and come from experiences way in the past that have left their mark on us. I wonder what's left its mark on you. I know where mine came from. I had an awful experience at school. I was really lonely. I've really basically had no friends other than Jesus, which in some ways was a really good thing. It did me really good. I got to university, and I, I wasn't so bothered about, you know, I've, I've lived without friends and had Jesus, and that was... I survived that, so if that's going to be the case, then fine. I was on a secure ground when I got to university, but actually it's left its mark. I wonder what's left its mark in your life. Georgina was praying earlier, although she's... I think she was actually prophesying it. I don't know if you... She knew that, but she was prophesying um, that if Jesus washes away our fears, when we feast on Jesus, it washes away the things we're fearful of. So worship Jesus, feast on him, and live in true freedom, away from the fear of idolatry. Um, The good news about following Jesus is that you actually... Uh, with an idol, you have to serve it. You have to give your time, energy, and money, and attention to it. With Jesus, everything that you need for life is already given to you. That's true freedom. You don't have to enslave yourself to something and give, you know, and serve it and worship it. With Jesus, He gives you everything. You haven't got to spend time, energy and money to get what you need in life. You can't buy or earn or deserve the meaning he gives. You can't earn or deserve um, his death in your place. He's already done it for you freely. You can't earn or deserve his life, his resurrection life. He gives it to you freely. That's true freedom, isn't it? that's what we've got to celebrate we're free in Christ by his grace and that's why we feast on him the Corinthians have been saying all things are lawful but does true freedom mean I can do what I like can I just do what I want, now I'm free in Christ because I was saying that with an idol you've got to serve it haven't you and you're going, hold on a minute, you have to serve Jesus but It's not quite in the same way. I mean, we're a slave to Christ, but being a slave to Christ brings true freedom, whereas being a slave to an idol truly enslaves and traps and oppresses us. Um, I was thinking about uh, our goldfish when I was a kid. It was called Lucky. My sister named it. Um, I wasn't too fussed about the goldfish, to be honest. I don't know how it came to mind. Um, But Lucky, um, I thought, you know, poor Lucky. Spent its life in a fishbowl. Trapped, oppressed, constantly in this tiny little bowl with water suffocating it. And then I thought, you know, we should have just freed Lucky. Broke the glass, let him free, and let him fin around the floor in the house. Set Lucky free. That should have been the campaign when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but the truth is that Lucky had a, a huge amount of freedom in his bowl, didn't he? There were limitations and guidelines, the glass bowl, the water, but they weren't restrictions on Lucky. They were the things that brought him to life and enabled him to live life freely. And it's the same with us. Freedom isn't anarchy, freedom is life in Christ with the parameters, the guidelines, the limitations that he puts there for us to help us live in freedom. So, what are they? And Paul comes to that in this quite complicated little bit. Verses 25 to 27. Let's just um, unpick this together. Paul affirms the Corinthians' freedom, freedom by saying, eat whatever because the Lord has made it so it's good. Feel free to eat. That's what he says about idol food. He says an idol really isn't anything. You're free to eat. Go ahead and eat whatever you like. That's your freedom in Christ. Do whatever you want. Okay? He's affirming in some ways all things are lawful. He's saying, "Yes, you're right. We've got an incredible amount of freedom, and actually, I think the church here in Britain needs to hear that more and more. We're so often putting boundaries in place that don't actually exist in Christ at all, and we just put them there, and with the kind of veneer of piety that's not helpful. When actually, all things are lawful, we're incredibly free." In verses 28 to 29, though, he imagines a situation where their freedom is limited. Um, It's a friend who isn't a Christian invites them over for dinner, there's idol food, and somebody else at the table says, this has been sacrificed. Thinking, you're a Christian, which at the time was kind of considered a Jewish sect. Jews don't eat sacrificed food, you're not going to want to eat it, I'm just helping you out. Just so you know, this is sacrificed, you don't want to eat it. And so Paul says, in that circumstance, you shouldn't eat the food. You can you forgive the Corinthians for being a little bit confused, couldn't you? In that situation, don't eat the food. Why? Despite just having said eating idle food's okay, because it would get in the way of that person thinking that they're truly a Christian, and therefore would stop them listening to anything they had to say about the gospel and about Jesus. Because they'd be going, this person ate idle food. Christians don't eat idle food. They're talking all this stuff about Jesus, but frankly, I'm not interested in listening, because... They're clearly not really a true Christian. Does that make sense? And so he says you're limited by their conscience, not not by your own, if that makes sense. You're limited by the fact that the other person thinks, as a Christian, you shouldn't be doing that, even though you know, as a Christian, you're perfectly fine to do it. Um, To help give us an an example, when I originally uh, studied this passage a number of years ago, I was still roughly around uni time, And I asked a friend, and I was going to speak at the CU, I think it was shortly after I'd finished uni, on clubbing to the glory of God. And I used this passage. And uh, it was a great talk. I loved it. Um, I felt an incredible amount of freedom. And um, as I was preaching that passage, as I was preparing it, I was away with non-Christian friends, housemates, and some other Christian friends. And I asked one of my non-Christian friends, I said, "If, if a Christian was out clubbing, what would you not expect them to do? And she said these things. Not make out with somebody in the corner, not get leary, and not dress modestly, immodestly. So note to self, when I'm out with that particular friend, I'm in a club, never going to happen for a very long time, if ever again, um, don't get leery, don't make out with somebody in the corner, and don't dress immodestly. Because I'm restricted by her conscience, her expectation of what a Christian would be. So when, when I'm talking about Jesus with her, which we often have done, she's not going, James isn't really a Christian. Because he does those things in clubs and I've seen him doing stuff he's not meant to do. And I know because he's a Christian he's not meant to do it. Whereas actually, scripturally, I've got a fair amount of freedom on some of those things. I can be as leery as I want in a nightclub. I could have no alcohol in me. Singing the football songs. I could be jumping up and down celebrating my freedom in Christ with the dodgiest moves in the club, looking hyper and excited, and probably to other people like I'm drunk. That's probably why she said it. I might not be. I might have had no alcohol in my system. But she's going to think I am. Does that make sense? And so my freedom in the club is limited by her conscience. That's what Paul's saying. In exercising his freedom, Paul was judged by the others to be living inconsistently. And the Corinthians took issue with him and wrote to him about it. And verses 29 to 30 looks a bit out of place, but it's his defense against what they've been saying. I don't know if any of you have got a weather vane in your garden. Anybody here got a weather vane in your garden? You know, cockcrawl on the top, north, south, east, west, and it moves yeah. with the wind? Yeah. You know, it tells you which direction the wind's blowing. There's some in- wind enthusiasts out there. I'm glad we know what i are talking about. A, w- a weather vane, it looks inconsistent, doesn't it? One minute it's over here, northwest, next minute it's over here, south. whatever it is, but it's inconsistent. It looks inconsistent, but it's actually very consistent, because it's constantly following the wind. And so Paul is saying um, something of the same. What he's saying is that there's an overarching guideline for living out our freedom in Christ. That we're free to follow, like the weather vane, follows the wind. We're free to follow this guideline. In whatever situation we're in, this is the guideline to follow. And Paul says it in verses 24, and he says it again in verses 32 and 33. He says these things. Seek the good of your neighbor. Give no offense. Please everyone. Don't seek your own advantage, but that of others. And he sums this up. 11 verse 1, imitate Jesus who said, love your neighbor as yourself. Didn't Jesus say the whole law was built on love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law governing. That's the guideline, the, the limitations, the parameters, the goldfish bowl that guides our freedom, and helps us live it out Well, he said this before in chapter 9, if you flick your eyes there, verse 19. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. um, That I might win those outside the law, or to one outside the law I became one outside the law, to win them. To the weak I became weak. Um, I've become all things to all people. That by all means, I might save some. There's an incredible amount of freedom in the Christian life. Incredible. Look at the number of times he says all. Incredible freedom to live out so that others might be saved. So that others are built up. So that others are helped. So that others feel loved. So we have an incredible amount of freedom in the way that we do church together in the way that we live out our Christian life as a community, and the governing principle of all the decisions we make is seeking the good of others. It's pleasing others. It's um, loving our neighbour as ourselves, so that some might be saved. How does this, um, this is the question I want to ask of us, is how does this work its way out in our life together as new life? So if as many of you here, you're, you're house group leaders or you're leading particular ministries and church life, particular outreaches, whatever, it, whatever responsibility you might have, have a think about this question. How does this work itself out in the way we live as church in following Jesus' command to make disciples? So in the area you lead, whether that might be kids or youth work or worship music or um, the atmosphere of our Sunday mornings here, the shape of our house groups are, whatever it might be, how do we live out our freedom to seek the good of our neighbours, to do them good, not our own advantage, but theirs, so that we might win some for Christ? How are we becoming uh, weak to the weak? How are we becoming a Jew to the Jews, but in our own application here in new life? Um, is the band light like to come back up, um, we're going I've still got a, a bit to speak about but um, Chris is going to come up and, and serve the band Bread and Wine now um, and I'm going to carry on speaking while they're doing that and then um, when I'm finished they're going to, as we've served them they're going to serve us and while we're taking the bread and wine we're going to worship like we did last week pass the bread down the rows and pass the wine together so how does all this tie in with idolatry, this issue of freedom um, and this issue of living to serve others and for their good? Um, Keller says this, an idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it and therefore it drives us to break rules we once honoured to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. See, our idolatry causes us to lose sight of Jesus. We don't feast on him anymore. We're feasting on the idol, whatever it might be. We exercise our freedom that we have for ourselves to feast on the idol regardless of others' needs because it's all consuming. It's become the foundation and focal point of our life. No longer is Jesus and imitating him by laying down our lives for others. It becomes about us and the thing that we... Need. But if we feast on Jesus, we experience true freedom. We live it out by following his example, by laying down our lives for others. See, as as a Christian, I mean, the world thinks, doesn't it? Christians are meant to be nice, moral do gooders. Just good people. What we're actually called to do is imitate Jesus, to follow his example to do the things that he did, and like Jesus, to seek the good of others, lay our lives down for them, live our life for their advantage, and not get in the way of them hearing the gospel, so that they too would be saved, that they would feast on Jesus, that they would never go spiritually hungry ever again, but would have everything they need, supplied by Jesus, who's the only one who can give it. Verse 31, Paul says, whatever you do, so in all of this freedom we've got, whatever you do, in the decisions you make, in the moments when you've got freedom, do whatever brings God glory. So how do we do that? Um, I've got three application questions just for us to consider as we, as we go away. One, does the thing you're about to do lead to freedom or does it lead to slavery? By doing it, are you, going to, are you feeling trapped or not? I'll give, I'll give you an example. This can be really subtle. Um, I had a habit of taking my phone up to bed, and the last thing I'd do, the last thought I'd have, is whatever email popped up on my email, or whatever I read on the news, or this or that, anything, could have just popped up on my phone, there's my last thought, try and go to sleep. And guess what? Sometimes I couldn't go to sleep. Um, it's subtle, but it's... Then after a while, I felt like I needed to look at it. <laughs> like I've got to look at my phone in case somebody's texted me at 10.30pm and it'll be desperate and I'll have to get back to them. No, I won't. I'll switch off my phone, leave it downstairs and worry about it another time. Number two, will this get in the way of someone else hearing and responding to the gospel? The thing you're about to do, will it stop somebody from hearing what you have to say about Jesus? And number three, is it helpful to others? Will it build them up? Will it do them good? As we come to feast on Jesus, let's uh, remind him of his exam- uh, Remind us of his example. Um, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And then we're going to worship and, and break bread and drink wine together. Um, it says this, It says, uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Don't do anything from rivalry, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. This is the way we're to think, which is yours in Christ Jesus, following his example. Who, though he was in the form of God deserving of worship did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross this is what jesus has done for us this is what we share in together as we take bread and wine And this is what we celebrate, knowing that in Christ we have true freedom, that we're to live out for the benefit of others, just as Jesus has lived life, his life out for the benefit of us. Thank God he has. Amen? Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? We have people. Um, So, as we eat bread and drink wine, there might be a number of things we need to do. Perhaps, as I've been speaking, you realise there's an idol in your heart, something you've made more important than Jesus that's trapping you and uh, making you fearful. Um, Then, as you take the bread and wine, just confess it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for making something other than you the centre of my life. It might be that you feast by faith. In Jesus, knowing that he's the one who brings you true freedom and can lead you into freedom wherever you're feeling trapped. And the third thing is um, to commit yourself to living a life in the pattern that Jesus did. Laying a life down for others and just committing yourself again. Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I'm here to serve you, your people, your world. I'm here to lay my life down for you and for them. Should we do that as we worship? Yeah. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus as our example. We thank you that you've given us somebody who has taught us what it means to live life in true freedom. We thank you that you've given us him to feast on in our hearts with thanksgiving now, making him the center and the focal point of our life so that we could know true freedom from the things that we fear most and help us live out that freedom, Lord, following his example, laying our life down for you and for others. In Jesus' name. Amen.